Hey, this morning we are wrapping up our current sermon series, one we've been in for the last couple of months, entitled Afterlife. Uh, if you're here just catching the tail end of the series, or if you've been on vacation or away this summer and missed any part of it, uh, we'd love for you to go online, check out our media tab, go on iTunes, check out the podcast. We believe in this series. We think it's been a great series, and obviously I'm a little biased because I'm the one that was leading it, but uh, I think there's a lot that we can learn as we talk about and think about heaven. And the promise of Scripture is rather clear, isn't it? Those who fix their eyes on heaven. I mean, we all have our fix, do we not? Something that just fills us up and excites us, that helps us to keep going. Well, for a Christian, that fix needs to be heaven. And for those who think about that place, uh, they will live very differently in this place. So let me pray for us. We're going to dive into the end of the series here. We're going to wrap it all up. And we've got an exciting, uh, an exciting thing coming at the end of the service. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for the fact that we are here today. Thanks for the air in our lungs and uh, the time off, time away. Uh, thank you for bringing us with folks who um, think like you and who are trying to live like you, who will try to encourage us and spur us on, God, to be better people. We just pray now that you will speak to us. We spent the last few minutes lifting our voices to you in song. And we now we, Lord, uh, we, we humble ourselves we want to hear your voice. We want to hear you speak to us. We believe you are speaking, and everyone has a word they should receive from you. And so would you speak that word to us now? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, have you ever been in a situation or gone to an event where it became obvious rather quickly that you were underdressed for the occasion? Anybody have that happen to them? Uh, maybe it was an event you thought was business casual. Turns out it was all business and you were all casual, right? Like these moments here, a little awkward. Uh, maybe it was that uh, casual Friday at work, except you forgot it was every other Friday, or that the new boss made it uh, put an end to that last Friday. Or maybe you went and visited a brand new church somewhere else in the country, and not everybody wears Bronco shirts and T-shirts uh, to church, right? So maybe you were in a situation where it was obvious you were underdressed for the occasion. Uh, we used to do an event out at Pepperdine where we would... Uh, uh, bless and serve the graduating seniors. We'd actually partner with the president of the university and we put on a huge catered etiquette dinner. Where we spent many a year teaching them uh, how to be good students and to be studious. Well, now we're trying to teach them how to not make a fool of themselves uh, at a meal, kind of our last gift to the graduating seniors. Uh, it's a huge event. It was beautiful, over the top, great food. And it was one of my favorite things that we did at Pepperdine. But I kid you not, I remember walking into that event the very first year I was there. And I was all dressed up. I was wearing a polo shirt and jeans. And I say all dressed up because I work with students, right? I mean, students wear their pajamas to class. They show up in tank tops and board shorts. So I thought I was okay. I thought I was just fine. Well, it turns out I was not I walked into the room, it was filled with students and administrators who were all dressed to the nines. I mean, totally decked out, suits, ties, coats, dresses, high heels, jewelries. I was scheduled to lead, uh, lead the opening prayer. So I didn't have time to run home and change. So I did my thing, and I kid you not, the president comes over to me and he says this. Glad you could join us tonight, Thomas. Looks like in terms of the attire, you missed the memo. Uh, you never want the president of a prestigious university to say to you, you missed the memo, right? Whatever happened before that or after that statement is not going to be good for you. Now, I bring all this up because what was true with that particular etiquette dinner will also be true in heaven. In heaven, it's not a matter of being underdressed or overdressed. In heaven, it's simply a matter of being properly dressed, 
and to enjoy and experience all the amazing things we've been talking about the last few weeks, you need to be wearing the proper attire. Let me show you what I mean. We're going to be reading a story in Matthew 22, a story that Jesus tells. It's rather long, but hang with me. I think it's a powerful story, and it brings up a lot of great things that we can talk about. He says this, Jesus spoke to them again in parable, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who've been invited that I have everything prepared for my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. Everything's ready. Come, come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention. They went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, actually killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is still ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone and everyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets, gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how do you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now some of us have heard this story before and if, if we're hearing it for the first time, some parts we connect to and resonate with and other parts we're thoroughly confused by. So let's, let's walk through this together. Uh, here in this chapter, Jesus is talking to a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. And he's telling them a, one story after another. If you go back and look at Matthew 21, this is the third story in the set. But each story has the same point, trying to make the same point. That those who call themselves the most godly in this world will actually be rejected by God in the next world. Because there's no fruit to their faith. There's no proof that they believe. Their life doesn't reflect what they say they believe. And he tells one story and then a second story and then we finally get to this story, the, the parable or the story of the wedding banquet. Now we've already talked about weddings in comparison to uh, heaven and how it's gonna be just like that, but let's dive into that analogy in comparison a little bit more today. You see, weddings in the first century were a big deal, a really big deal. And besides the obvious reasons, here's why they were so important back then. A lot of weddings in the first century were arranged Weddings or arranged marriages, meaning the parents or the families set you up with your spouse. You didn't choose based on love or Facebook or, or match.com, right? It was, it was parents.com. And so, which still might work today, I don't know. Anyway, so they would meet, quite possibly, for the very first time. And on that same exact day where they met for the first time, they would sign a marriage contract. They would say, legally and for all intents and purposes, I am binding in the contractual agreement, I'm binding myself to you. So they were married in the eyes of the state, in the eyes of the law at that moment on that first day. But they would not be married, they would not be connected physically or relationally at that moment. What would happen is at that moment, the wife would then go and live with her parents for a while and the husband would go off in a separate direction and he would prepare the house. And until the house was finalized, was fully furnished. Until everything was ready there, they would not be together in that context. But when he was ready, when everything had been set up, when everything had been done, he would come back for his bride. And it was in that moment where the parents would announce, it's time to party. 
It's time now. It's time to celebrate. And the wedding banquet would begin. It would literally begin that night. And it wouldn't just last a night. In fact, it would last seven nights. This was a huge wedding party. You thought and got a little perturbed when you had to stay at a wedding like extra hours and it ran over a little bit. Yeah, imagine seven days. That's quite the party. Now, I, I bring all this up because I think there's some beautiful comparisons and parallels between that moment and, and heaven. Right? Think about this. Many of us have entered into a relationship with Jesus. We, we know him. We've connected ourselves to him. But we're waiting for him, are we not? We're waiting for him to come back. We're not with him right now. We're not at his dwelling place. Why? Because he's still preparing it. He's still setting it up. He's getting everything ready for us. And that moment when he's ready, the moment when our eternal dwelling place is ready, guess what? He's gonna come. He's gonna come back for his bride and there's gonna be a huge party, a huge celebration. That's what Jesus is talking about here. A king throws a party because his son is ready. Everything has been done. Everything is prepared. Come, let's party. This is gonna be a party that is unmatched and a party you don't want to miss. But here in this story, that's exactly what happens to a few people. They, they miss out. See, Jesus says that certain people, people the king personally invited to come to this huge moment, this important moment in time, they refuse to come. They reject the invitation. First, it says that some don't respond to the text messages. Some don't reply to the Facebook comments. Like, hello, any, anybody out there? Nothing. Next, it says, the king goes out of his way to describe some of the exciting details about this feast and this party. Guys, the oxen, fattened cattle, everything's been butchered, everything's ready to go. In other words, there's gonna be choice steaks, open taco bar with free-flowing queso, a chocolate fondue party over here. It's gonna be awesome. You don't wanna miss out. Come, the king says. This time they do respond, but they give such trivial reasons for rejecting the invite. One guy says, I'm too busy. Another guy, I got to go to work. Another guy, I've got practice. All oh, the kids' schedule is keeping us so maxed out. Another person, it's too nice outside to be cooped up inside. Whatever stupid reason they could come up with, they did. But then some invitees, they go so far as to kill the servants, kill the messenger. Now, I've had some people in my day uh, rudely reply to something I invited them to, but no one's ever physically harmed me. And no one's ever killed the mailman on behalf of me, right? I mean, this is extreme. But you have to understand what's going on here. These people were receiving a very special invitation. This invitation, uh, we're not talking about it coming from someone they didn't know or someone they didn't care about. This wasn't an invitation from a long lost cousin for their nephew's, you know, twice removed wedding. This wasn't an invitation to a friend of a friend of a friend's wedding. This wasn't an invitation to your boss's stepson so you feel like you have to go. This was an invitation from their king, from the one who cared for them, looked over them, protected them, delivered them, defended them, provided for them. Their king, that's who's inviting them to this event. And you're going to tell me that you're too busy for him? You're going to ignore him? You're going to claim that other things are more important than him? That's exactly what happened. The folks in this story, those who rejected the invitations are more or less saying, back off, king. Leave us alone. Let us be. We don't care about you and we don't care about the wedding of your son. Who cares? And they shake an angry fist at this king and they actually start throwing their fists at anybody who comes on behalf of the king. And as you can imagine, the king is enraged by this. Not only is he disappointed, but he's devastated and in return has to bring out destruction. You see, he justly punishes the people for their actions and their crimes. 
Now, normally in this context, the story would end there. And even in the first century, that's how this parable was told. It began with a great invitation. Then those who rejected it, the story ended, game over, no more party for you. But the story that Jesus tells, it doesn't end there. He adds an interesting twist, does he not? This generous king, in a surprise turn of events, extends the invitation to those who, quote unquote, don't deserve it. He basically says, go out and invite anyone and everyone you can find. I don't care if they're good people. I don't care if they're bad people. Bring them in. Everyone's invited. See, the party, it's going to be popping. The banquet hall is going to be full. People will come alongside the father, and they will celebrate and honor the marriage of the son. It's going to happen. And the story makes it sound like it's the most unsuspecting and most undeserving of people who will be there to experience it at all. You see, some people don't care to come. But for others, well, that's all they care about. But here's the thing. When a king would invite you in the first century uh, to a wedding, especially the wedding of his own son, the prince, he didn't just send you a paper invitation. It was much more elaborate than that. Now, I've seen some elaborate invitations in my day. Chances are you have as well. I've got a couple examples here. Right? It comes in a box. There's like directions to it. There's multiple other envelopes and steps you have to follow. It reads like a treasure map, right? Things pop out. There's like a little band. It's like, what the, what is this? Well, that, that's not even close to how elaborate the invitation of the king would have been. You see, in addition to the invitation itself, in the first century, a king would have also included a special piece of clothing. You would have received a box. And inside of it would have been this, this garment. You see, to show off his power, his wealth, but also his kindness, and to ensure that everybody was appropriately dressed for the occasion, the king would literally take his finest robes out of his own closet, out of his own wardrobe, and he would give them away. He would gift them away to all of his guests. And if he didn't have enough robes of his own, he would personally make or have made brand new robes so that every single guest was adorned and dressed properly. Right? We see this in the story of Joseph and the Pharaoh. We see this in the story of Esther and the king. To enter the king's presence, to be welcomed into the king's court, you had to be and you wanted to be wearing that robe. That robe is your ticket in. And not wearing that robe, it's not just a faux pas or a mistake on your part. It's incredibly insulting to the king. See, unlike that etiquette dinner, uh, I got to stick around even though I was incredibly underdressed. That's not true for this wedding banquet. A polo and jeans won't cut it. You have to be wearing the garment that God provided for you, that God gave to you. And it appears everybody in this story at this particular banquet, well, they were wearing the garment, except this one guy. When it comes to weddings, there always has to be that one guy, doesn't there? Like that guy? No, the guy who's way too loud, laughs too loudly, the guy who eats or drinks way too much, the guy who dances a little too, like, I was going to say freaky, but you know what I'm talking about on the dance floor. There's always that guy. Well, guess what? At this wedding, there's that guy. There's that guy. A guy who's not wearing the special outfit that the king personally prepared for him to wear. Now, this guy is obviously invited to the wedding because he knows exactly when and where it's going to take place. When the king confronts him and says, why aren't you wearing the robe I gave to you? He calls him friend. But for one reason or another, he doesn't clothe himself in the clothing the king chose for him. And he doesn't have a good reason as to why. 
Right, the king asks him, and the text says the man is speechless. Because in that moment, there is not a good enough excuse. Nothing will be able to be said. So the man is thrown out of the party, and it says he's severely punished. Now that might seem harsh to us. It's like, geez, maybe just ask him to like sit in the back or go in the parking lot or you know, be somewhere where people couldn't see. And this just seems extreme. But you've got you've to understand this, guys. Overlooking or neglecting that first invite from the king I mean, I guess we could understand that would happen. I mean, we're all busy and it's easy to lose it in the stack of junk mail over in the corner, right? Overlooking or neglecting the second invite you receive from the king, the third invite you receive from the king, especially after the king goes out of his way to describe to you how incredible the party's gonna be, that's a whole nother level. But take it even one level further, refusing to wear the special garment that the king gave to you to wear? I mean, you are now in the idiotic realm. It's not just refusing or, or denying or rejecting an invitation. You are now literally spitting in the face of the king. You were saying, I don't care about you. I don't care about what you want to do for me. And I don't care to be a part of your celebration. I mean, it's just crazy to think that. This guy must have shown up thinking that because the king was loving, he would just accept everybody. Or that because this guy was a good guy, he was just going to automatically be in the wedding. Maybe he thinks that all outfits are the same. Or that it's narrow-minded or judgmental or small-minded to think that some people will be rejected from this. Maybe he thinks that there's no difference between those who are clothed in rags versus those who are clothed in righteousness. But thinking all that, it's just crazy. It's just not right. It's like thinking that since it was 120 degrees in Phoenix, but, but it was a dry heat, that it's not that hot. Right? It's like, come on. No, that's hot. I don't care who you are. But here's the thing, guys. The story that we just read together, that Jesus told, it wasn't just for the religious leaders of that day. That story is for all of us today. Because God has personally invited every single person in this room to know him, to be known by him, to love him, to be loved by him, to live with him, to become like him for all of eternity. He has invited you to heaven and I say that with 100% confidence because I have personally seen the invitations you've received. There's all of creation itself calling you back to its creator. There are all your talents and gifts and abilities and desires, desires all pulling you to the one who can satisfy those desires and the one who originally gave you those desires. There's the entire biblical narrative which is trying to say your story, it's part of a much larger, more magnificent story. There's the fact that you are here today. Well, how do I know if I've been called? How do I know if I've been invited? You're here. The invitation's yours. And then, of course, there's Christ, the Son of God. He's the greatest invitation the world's ever seen. It's God saying life for you, life now and life eternal. For you. Anyone who looks at this, this is for you. So the king of the universe, the one who has spoken everything into being, the one who calls the stars out every night by name, the one who is in charge of all other leaders, who puts other presidents and tyrants in positions of authority, the one who oversees and is above time itself, that one, God himself, he's invited you. He has personally invited you to heaven, to the wedding banquet of his son, he's invited you, let's review for a second, to live forever in this celestial city where you will see angels and animals and loved ones who have died and gone on before. He has invited you to experience a place that is not plagued by or riddled with death or sin or sorrow or pain. 
He has invited you to enjoy the fullness of a resurrected, perfected body. He has invited you to rule and reign on a redeemed earth, fully restored earth, where you will work and develop and help it to advance and come to its fullness. He has invited you to see and to celebrate face-to-face Jesus Christ. He's invited you. And even when we miss the invitation, even when we turn our back on the invitation, even when we reject the invitation, the one who is so good to us keeps sending the invitation. Please come. Please come. I want you there so badly. you got to come. But the parable points out that you got to accept the invitation. But more than that, church, you got to be dressed appropriately to be in heaven. The king himself asked and expects that you be clothed the way he wants you to be clothed. See, whether you realize it or not, God has always been in the clothing business. I kind of like fashion, so I'm like, yeah, Lord, that's cool. I like that. But think about this with me. Think about a story real fast uh, throughout the, the, the story of Scripture, right? You've got in Genesis where Adam and Eve make a mess of everything, and it says they're ashamed, they're scared, they don't know what to do anymore. They feel totally exposed. And so what does God do? Genesis 131. It says he makes for them a garment. He covers them with the skins of an animal. He makes an outfit for them. He clothes them. The psalmist goes on to say, you are the only one who can remove my sackcloth, my, my, my mourning garments or whatever, and replace them. It says, you will clothe me with joy. The disciples are told in Luke 24, 49, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you. You're going to have so much power and authority. But he says, stay in the city until you've been clothed from on high. Paul, on numerous occasions, describes our heavenly body as clothed in the imperishable, clothed with immortality. In Revelation, you you read about heaven. It says everybody is clothed in these white robes. God has always been in the clothing business. But nowhere is that more evident than in Isaiah 61.10. Read this aloud with me. It says this. I delight greatly in the Lord. All right, read it like you actually mean it and that you're alive. Here we go. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. The story that we read in Matthew 22 it is the culmination. It is, it is the, the fullness of this prophecy. It is this prophecy coming to fruition. It is the God who's always been in the clothing business saying, I'm sending you a very special garment and I want you to wear it on the wedding day. The garment is a garment of salvation. It's called a robe of righteousness and I'm giving it to anyone and everyone who believes. And you have to be wearing that garment, the garment of Isaiah 61, in order to get to heaven. Everything else is rubbish. Everything else is rags. Everything else is lesser than. Nothing else will do. See, the parable makes it very clear, church. And I hate to be so forthright this morning, but I just feel the need. It's not enough to just say, yeah, given the, uh, the options, given the statistics, I believe in God. That's not enough. That's not enough to get to heaven. It's not enough to just show up to church on occasion and get to heaven. It's not enough to think that you're just a nice guy or a good guy or better than that guy. 
That's not enough to get to heaven. It's not enough to memorize verses or give money or sing a song every now and again on K-Love. It's not enough to send your kids to VBS. It's not enough to grow up in a Christian home. It's not enough to go to a Christian school. That's not enough. You have to adorn yourself personally with Jesus Christ. You have to take the garment that God has made for you, a garment of salvation and a robe of righteousness, and you have to put it on. Your wife can't put it on for you. Your parents can't put it on for you. Your kids can't wear it for you. Nobody can put this garment on. You have to put it on for yourself because God gave it to you. And lucky for us, the moment we confess Christ, the moment we say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want to be with you. The moment you say that, guess what happens? You're clothed in that way. The rags that represent who we are spiritually, they're removed and God clothes us with a beautiful garment of salvation. The moment you say yes to Jesus, yes, I believe you are who you claim to be, the moment you say that, that old clothing, that old outfit, it's taken off. Because if we're honest, guys, when it comes to that parable, we're the folks who don't deserve the invitation, right? Let's be real. We're the folks who are the bad ones in that story. I mean, we're so much more sinful and broken than we'd ever want to admit to. So we're the ones who shouldn't be invited to this party. We've been invited and he's given us this robe and all you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. See, one of the ways the Bible describes the transformation of a Christian, kind of pre-Christian and post-Christian, that transformation in between, it's talking about a new outfit. It talks about your old self, your old way of life, the old way of thinking. All of that is removed from you like a bad outfit, one that doesn't fit very well, and a new outfit is put on you, the outfit of Jesus. And like Men's Warehouse says, you're gonna like the way you look. I guarantee it. When you put on Jesus, you're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. Romans 13, 14. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm super excited this morning because several people are going to profess their faith in Christ, maybe for the very first time. And several are going to be baptized into Christ, which is a, a neat way of kind of representing and symbolizing this clothing, right? That's what Galatians 2 says. In Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith, all of you. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, listen to this language, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You're all one. You're all wearing the same robe. You're all clothed in the same garment of salvation. And if you haven't taken that step yet, if you haven't confessed Christ as your Lord, and if you haven't, if you haven't gone the, the next step and been baptized into Christ, haven't covered yourself with Christ, if you haven't done that, then today is the day. I mean, what a shame it would be to walk through an entire series on heaven and then miss out on heaven. What a shame it would be to know everything there is to know about heaven, but not know the one who gets you to heaven. What a shame it would be to know about all the wonderful things that heaven is going to include and yet not be dressed appropriately so you get to enjoy all the things that heaven will include. You with me? You gotta be dressed appropriately. Proper attire is required. A garment of salvation, a robe of righteousness. You won't just end up there. The spiritual rags that you are wearing will not be sufficient. They will not do. You gotta be clothed with Christ. But before we jump into the water, uh, let me conclude by saying this. Many of, us, many of us in this room, most of us in this room, are in this room because we made that decision. 
Right? We, we professed Christ. We confessed sin. We repented of it. We asked Jesus to save us, to take us to heaven. Well, we're done with that. And so now you should be excited about heaven because it is a guarantee for you, for those who believe. So, so we're not exactly in that boat. But if you are in that boat, listen, we're going to have folks down front as Kim continues to sing here in a little bit. They're going to take your confessions of faith. They're going to pray over you. If you want to be baptized, we brought all of our extra T-shirts and shorts. There's tons back here. We are ready to baptize anyone and everyone. But if you've already made that decision, don't clock out right now, all right? This, this still applies to you. Because here's the thing. The fact that you have to be clothed with Christ to get to heaven, that's not just true for church people. That's not just true for us. That's true for all the world. Which means, let, let's think about this. Now let's take this to the extreme. Or just to a logical a further end point. That is also true for your non-believing friends. That is also true for your non-believing family members. That is also true for your non-believing coworkers. That is also true for your non-believing classmates. If you are not clothed in Christ, if you're not wearing the garment of salvation, the robe of righteousness, you will not be in heaven. I cannot say it any more clearly than that. We each have to respond appropriately, not only to the invitation, but also to the robe that we've been presented with. And I want to make it clear to you today, guys, this heaven series, it wasn't some sort of game we were playing. This heaven series wasn't just designed to make you feel good about that lost one or, or the loved one that you lost recently. It wasn't just designed to make you, make you a little bit more excited about what's coming after this life. If all those happen, great, I'm excited about that. You know what the point of this series was? The point was to motivate you to help other people get to heaven. And if you don't do that, if you're not compelled right now to bring others along, to help them respond appropriately, to help clothe them with Christ, if you're not motivated to do that, I have failed you. I have failed you as a teacher and a preacher. Because the hope of heaven is yours to have, but it's also yours to share. You with me? Heaven is real. This isn't some game. This isn't some little devotional that we talk about to make ourselves feel better about the pain and sorrow in this life. Heaven is real. There will be an afterlife. You will stand judgment. You will see Jesus face to face. It's gonna happen. Will you be excited about it or will you be terrified by it? That's the question. Are you clothed appropriately? You see, guys, I hated it. I hated it when Pepperdine's president came to me and said, didn't get the memo, huh? It was like, no, I didn't get the memo. Thanks for sharing it with me. And now I'm committed. I, I should tell you, not now, I'm not a pepper anymore, but at the time, I was committed to telling every graduating senior, as well as every administrator, hey, if you're coming to this event, you gotta wear proper attire. I mean, I would tell people so many times, like, I know, I know, I get it, Thomas. Like, go big, wear my nicest stuff. Cool, I get it. No, 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 you don't understand. You don't wanna stand before the president and be embarrassed. You gotta be dressed appropriately. And now, church, shouldn't we be as committed to telling non-Christians in our life, the ones who the Lord has placed in our path, shouldn't we be as committed to telling them, you gotta be dressed appropriately for heaven. You don't wanna be embarrassed on that day. You don't wanna stand before the king and hear him say to you, friend, why aren't you wearing the garment of salvation, the robe of righteousness I gave to you to wear? You don't wanna have that experience on that day. And I want us as a church to be so committed to sharing our faith with those around us and to unapologetically tell folks, listen, there's a great outfit out there that God has prepared just for you. And if you put it on, if you put on Jesus Christ, you will experience life after this life. The hope of heaven is yours. So this morning, we're gonna end the series. I'm gonna invite the band up real fast to, to play. 
Uh, we're gonna end the series the same way that we started the series on Easter Sunday. Uh, we're gonna end the series with an invitation. On Easter, we gave out those little RSVP cards to heaven. Well, this morning, I wanna remind you of those cards, but I also want to make the invitation uh, very personal and very real. It's an invitation this morning to say yes to heaven as you say yes to Jesus. It's an invitation to say yes to heaven as you go one step further and say yes to baptism. And it's an invitation to say yes to heaven as you extend that invitation out so other people can say yes to heaven. That's our hope. That's our great call. Let me pray for us. And uh, and then we're gonna go back here and we've got several who want to be baptized already. But if you fall into that category, if you wanna be baptized this morning, if you wanna even just say, yes, Jesus, I, I believe in you. Because I know for a fact, the church of this size, like there is a married couple in here, the wife believes, the husband doesn't, he just comes along. Or vice versa, the husband believes, but the wife just comes along. There's kids in here that just come because their parents make them. There are people in here that just come along because this is where you see your friends, this is like the social network that you have. You've come for weeks or months or possibly years or decades and you've never professed yes to Jesus. You've never said, God, I want you, I need you, would you save me now and forever? And if you haven't said that, now's the time because heaven is gonna be better, so much better than you and I can even imagine, right? Scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has ever fathomed what God has prepared for those who believe. And so if you've never said yes to Jesus, then this morning, this is your time. And if you've never been baptized into Christ, well, the water's ready and the water's warm. The water's, the water's great, come on in. So if you need anything, Scott and Ryan, other ministers and pastors will be down front. Come and talk to them, come pray with them. Like I said, if you want to be baptized this morning, there's nothing stopping you. Clothe yourself with Christ. Let me pray, and we'll we'll jump into that. God, help us to not give these stupid, trivial excuses like those in this parable did as to why we're not responding to you, as to why we're not giving our lives to you, as to why we're not saying yes to your great invitation. Too busy? Too many things going on? More important priorities? fear of judgment. God, what, what, what is stopping us? There's no excuse. Help us to see you are a great God and your son is gonna have a great banquet in his honor. And it's our great honor to be invited to that place and we, we all want to be in that place. And so this morning, for every person in this room, Lord, if they have not responded appropriately to your invitation, if they've not said yes to Jesus, if they've never clothed themselves with this garment of salvation, this robe of righteousness, if they've never jumped in the water and been clothed with Christ, then would their heart start beating so fast right now, God? They're like, oh no, not me, not me, Lord, make it, they just cannot deny it. Help that feeling to speak to them that yes, you are talking right to them. The invitation right now is being given to them. The clothing that you are having, that you are offering is right there for them to take and to put on so they respond appropriately. And Lord, there might be those in this room, in fact, many of us probably have said yes to you, but God, are we helping others to say yes? Is it our great passion? Is it our single greatest desire to see others experience heaven as well? Lord, would tears be brought to our eyes when we come into contact with those who aren't going to heaven, who won't experience a resurrected body, who won't understand or live in a restored earth, who won't get to see Jesus? Would we be so frustrated and so mad at that that we just can't help but share our faith? That the spirit of timidity that is overwhelming many of us, God, would be replaced with a spirit of power and boldness that we would share Jesus. We have nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be afraid of, God. And so would we share the hope of heaven with every single person we come into contact with? Because when they are up there with us, God, they will, they will just, they'll be so overwhelmed and so will we. So make it so. Bless the next few moments. We lift them 
and give them to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.